So, one of the things that I, I didn't get to discuss, uh, that, that I kind of wanted to get to, was the sort of story of Nazi Germany in the production studio. And I want to break it down in an understandable but extensive way so it's understood and it's not sort of, you're not getting a reductionist um, sort of view. Um, but basically, I'm going to take you down, I'm going to just take you alongside with my writing and my work and some of the research I've done. Uh, because it's like you spend an hour on five words, you know, those five words are probably going to be much better. And especially those sentences and the aggregate, the information of that that's been worked on diligently um, and efficiently, it's going to be much better than me just trying to explain it and go for it. Now, I don't particularly like, I like coming up with my own organic thoughts on the fly. It's how I get better. But this, with this thing, I want to explain it to you so everyone understands it. Okay, so one of the key methods, right, that Hitler um, and his minister of propaganda, uh, Goebbels, right, Joseph Goebbels, used to retain narrative was film, right? It was film. From comedy to romance, um, Goebbels injected subliminal anti-West pro-Nazi messages into every reel of film. Any film that was to be shown in Germany had to be approved by Goebbels himself. Um, and I talked about this earlier. So if there was even the slightest bit of messaging drifting from the narrative, it would not be shown. Okay, Goebbels had immense power over the production studios. Because at the time, we got to remember, MGM and Universal saw Germany as a large market with many potentialities. And the reason why this was is because... Germany had the second largest market prior to World War I, right? The studios were hesitant to leave the largest market and the German market, and they ended up capitulating, right, to the Nazi regime, even at times editing films to paint the Nazi regime in a positive light. The studios made cuts to hundreds of films, such as All Quiet on the Western Front, which I talked about a little bit in that podcast. Um, so. The Nazis purchased about 300 tickets for the film's uh, first screening. As German troops retreated from the French, they shouted, German soldiers had courage. It's a disgrace that such an insulting film was made in America. Because of the disruptions, the projectionist was forced to switch off the film. Of course, the Nazi propagandist Joseph Goebbels gave a speech from the front row of the balcony in which he claimed that the film was an attempt to destroy the German image. His comrades threw stink bombs and released mice into the crowd. Everyone rushed for the exit, and the theater was placed under guard. It would not be until around 1941 when Hollywood produced a movie not favoring the Nazi regime. Throughout the 1930s, the term collaboration, which is why I wanted to talk about that, it got brought up literally probably 10 times in that, that uh, last conversation we are having, right? It was used repeatedly to describe the dealings that took place in Hollywood, right, with the Nazi regime. Even studio heads adopted the film involving Germany, right? Excuse me, even adopted the term. They even, Hollywood um, producers adopted the term. An executive at RKO promised that whenever he made a film involving Germany, he would work in close collaboration 
with the local council general. A Fox executive said the same. Even United Artists offered the closest collaboration, quote, with the German government. Um, if the German government did not punish the studio for the controversial 1930 air combat movie Hell's Angels, according to the Foreign Office, every time that this collaboration was achieved, the parties involved found it to be helpful and pleasant. All the time, all this was a result of the Nazis' action against All Quiet on the Western Front. Soon every studio started making deep concessions to the German government, and when Hitler came to power in 1933, they dealt with his representatives directly. Film was used from its inception to psychologically persuade the masses and extend the control of the state beyond conventional methods. There is no need for the state to exert violence on you to acquire obedience. If the masses Right? If the masses see obedience as liberty and slavery as freedom, the individual will not even notice they are being controlled. And so as the individual becomes more conditioned, right? As, it, as he becomes more conditioned to believe what they see, right? To derive a conception from the external world to then, to then create a worldview which you could say a worldview is an assortment of formulated opinions that make up a broader belief system, right? And the deeper that goes, the more meaningful and value of more meaningful and valuable the belief systems go, right? Okay, so you could say that that assortment of beliefs, right? That assortment of opinions, formulated opinions that form a general worldview, right? or a, you could even say a mindset, you, you use the term that you would like, right, are completely being formulated on false information. But it's technically not false. And I should say this, and I'm speaking at the individual level, is because perspective is reality, reality is, per, excuse me, perception is reality, reality is perception. You can only perceive, you can only think about that in which you perceive, and you can only perceive that in which you're willing to see or given the opportunity to see, this is why perception among individuals varies greatly. And this perception is experience with younger people, with older people. So you say, a person who grew up in Southside Chicago, or grew up in the hood, I grew up in some bad, rough neighborhoods, right? You could call some of them hoods, who grew up in that hood, who had been around those individuals who have been in the position of having to choose between uh, a product or a necessary bill, right? Being in the position where you can't get new shoes every year, where you have to get, you know, use old stuff and hand-me-downs, right? You get an idea of poverty, right? And poverty as an external, um, as an external condition, right? Then, then um, conditions the individual's perception on the world and that external condition poverty is just one aspect of the many external um conditions in which he's absorbing and developing to then alter his general per, uh perception and then as he mo go grows up and gets older he has more awareness of the depths of hell, let's say. And he also knows what it's like to be poor. So he's more frugal, more humble, and less arrogant. This isn't always the case now. I'm not saying this is always the case, but I'm just trying to make an example here. 
So then he goes into the world with this perception, and he comes in counter uh, contact with another individual who came from a hyper rich family making $10 million a year, right? In the 1%, without a doubt, right? These, these, um, very, very, very ultra rich individuals. And he meets one of them and he says, you know, I don't understand. Why are you like this? Right? Why are you complaining so much? Just an example. Now he starts to realize almost immediately that his perception is different than his perception. Okay, because the rich kid's perception on life was predicated on the ability to get anything whenever, however. Okay, I should say whenever. So that individual had, and this isn't always the case. I'm just trying to make a point here. I just want to specify that. Um, he had the ability to get whatever he wanted whenever he wanted. There was very little struggle, right? Very little struggle and adversity um, in his upbringing okay and he didn't have to deal with the hood he didn't have to deal with being poor he didn't have to deal with seeing and witnessing crime and being involved maybe with drugs not explicitly doing it but knowing people that do it and seeing the carnage of the streets and what it does and he didn't have to choose between a sweater or a pair of shoes and he didn't have to grow up hearing gunshots and he didn't have to grow up worrying that someone might break into his house to rob him because people around that area you know broke into houses and robbed people Right. So his perception is predicated on that. And that that is one of, again, that sort of condition of uh, that external condition being poverty or being richness, whichever one wealth is the condition by which he's going to formulate the rest of his worldview. Now, it's not his worldview is not only predicated on that external condition, but that external condition makes up a portion of his worldview. So go look at that person, the rich one, and tell him that's not reality. Tell him that is not reality. Well, what do you, how is it not reality? Well, it is reality. And the reason why it's reality is because it's perception. So you can only see, you can only believe what you see, and whatever you see is going to be used as a predicate to build out your thoughts and your opinions later on. So when you're doing this, right, when talking about propaganda, talking about um, the individual seeing obedience as liberty and slavery as freedom, um, and the fact that the individual will not even know that they're being controlled, right, you are altering perception. So you say, whoa, I'm trying to debate this leftist and I'm showing him facts. I'm showing the leftist facts and he's just not believing reality, bro. He's a hypocrite. It's like, no, he's not. He's really not, right? You're trying to argue reality and perception with him. And perception is the closest thing to objectivity that you can really get to at the individual level. And I don't mean that there's principles and um, laws in physics, in different reactions, especially at the quantum level, that aren't objective in its purest, most scientific form. But in the human behavioral uh, domain, in the psychological domain, in the cognitive domain, even in the conscious domain, that the perception is reality, right? It's almost indistinguishable. But that doesn't mean reality can't change, and that doesn't mean perception can't change. So, but trying to just say, oh, you're wrong and show them it, it's not going to go through at all. 
It will not work. It will not break their worldview because that is not just one opinion. Now, if people have opinions, right? Let's say people have three opinions. And those three opinions aren't tightly integrated with their worldview, right? They're not consequential. They're subsequently very, very minimal and of low value. Okay. Well, you can try and go for those three opinions, right? You can go for, let's say, Medicare for all, uh, the rich paying more taxes, and um, no more private prisons. Let's just say that, right? You can go for those, but because that person grew up in a, a certain home where he had perspective of the right because his dad was a conservative and his mom was a liberal and he watched multiple news sources and he wasn't ideologically influenced to believe one or the other and he was told by his parents to always listen to both sides and never believe something until you actually um, have evidence that it's true, right? And don't be, um, you know, possessed by a certain opinion to the degree that you're willing to forego reality to keep that opinion bolstered up. Don't do that. So now this person has these three things, and you have someone else who disagrees with those. You hit those three points. There's a, If you're factual, if you bring the evidence, there's a large percentage that you're going to at least get one of them that you can change it, right? But if, that, if, if his worldview was predicated on the opposite of what I talked about, if he was told, you, you know, liberals are, is the good party, vote liberal, vote blue, never vote red, uh, people who are conservatives are racist, are transphobic, are, um, they hate gays, they're anti-Semitic, and all this stuff. And instead of having an open worldview um, to be open to experiences of things that you may disagree with and respond to it in a reasonable way and to always question what you believe and to never, ever, ever be so arrogant as to deny that someone else, that you know everything. So arrogant that you know everything, right? So that's that different upbringing paints a different perception to, to, to try and change those three points that we talked about, three opinions. You are not going to be able to get any of them because those three opinions are not predicated on a reasonable, rational exploration of truth and a, uh, a, a deduction of uh, certain propositions to formulate the conclusion that you need Medicare for all, right? You need uh, high taxes for the rich. Um, you need these things. You're, you're going to have to challenge the entire worldview, and you're probably not going to be able to break through that because the exterior of that worldview is almost ironclad. So the only way, I think, I believe, one of the only ways and one of the most efficient ways, let's say, to try and penetrate that ironclad is not by political debate. I don't believe it is. I believe that will not get through to these people, whether it be on the right, whether it be on the left. I believe that it's culture and a change. Uh, a major change in perception and I think culture is the best way to make a major change in perception okay that's what I think that's what I've deduced now I'm sort of prop propositionalizing things here as good as I can to try and make it as easy to understand but also paint the nuance right but at the end of the day like I said if those external conditions 
in the environment. And there might be some sort of genetic bi evolutionary biological factors that may um, give someone a predisposition to, to a certain reality or a certain perception because of a certain genetic ailment, disease, or feature that then possesses them and takes uh, in a negative way, might harm them, like take up a large portion of their life. Like people who are who suffer from autoimmune issues, those autoimmune issues are going to engulf their life for a, a good time. So then whatever comes with that, which that autoimmune issue might be a predisposition genetically, and then the reality gets shaped around that, that you can track that reality over time and see what comes with that reality. One of the things that comes with the reality of disease is the rea reality of cynicism and darkness. Not always. Sometimes these diseases also bring people strength. And I think it's a little bit of both, but it's darkness. And sometimes it's neuroticism. So I think that culture is the best way, right? Going back to what I said, culture is the best way to change perception because it's not overtly political. And the political trying to go against the psychological, it ain't going to work because the psychological always overpowers the political. I should say the conscious perception, right? The conscious concept of perception, but it's not really conscious concept. It's actually a, a way of being. It's actually a, a conscious way to operate in reality based off of your perception. It wouldn't make sense if you didn't operate on your perception, right? Would it make sense that you grow up, you get all these values, your parents try and install you values, and your perception is completely different from what those values are? Well, you'd be like, that's weird. Like, why would you want to live reality in a perception that you've never experienced? Now, then you say that's narcissism, then you say that's faking it to make it, as they say, and then you say that's even pathological. Maybe, you know, there's a bit of psychopathy there, right? Maybe there is. Or maybe you say that someone's perception was so bad and someone made them aware of how bad that perception was that they tried to stay as far away from their childhood perception as possible, right? Maybe their dad's an alcoholic and maybe they've, he's seen how bad alcoholism and his mom was a liar, and he, he just does not believe it or trust them and anything that came from them in that reality that they have a distrust for, they then reject and adopt a new reality. And sometimes that new reality might be worse, might be better, might seemingly be better, but then they miss the things they should have adopted, right? They didn't, they weren't willing to separate the wheat from the chaff, the chaff. They weren't willing to do that. So they missed those points that they, they would have, right? Had they, instead of being absolutist in it, realized that, okay, there's definitely wheat and there's definitely chaff. Let's separate it and let me take what needs to be taken and let me leave what needs to be left. Okay? But again, culture as the best way to alter perception. And I define perception... Now I'm going to define culture, define culture, which is not very easy because in a sense, everything is culture when it comes to society. Okay. But culture is that which, let's see, culture, it can be political. Don't get me wrong, but it's deeper than that. At a fundamental level, it's, it's deeper than that. It's like the difference between like you, you look at an atom and you're like, okay, that's an atom. That's small. And then you look at the, 
when you look at these particles, right, these quarks at a quantum level, you see, wow, the deeper you get, the more complicated things get. The, the more general you get, the more simplistic things are. So the deeper you can go, the best idea of a thing you probably have. At least that's what I've found. So culture is that which propagates... Okay. I'm trying to word this in a very specific way. Culture is that which propagates reality in a form... I want to get this right, guys. I'm, I'm doing some thinking here on the fly. Some deep, deep thinking. Uh, sorry, I didn't see this. So, what is your opinion? Hey, what is your opinion? Um, what is my opinion on what? I don't mind giving my opinion. Don't get me wrong. I have no problem giving my opinion. But just tell me what, what opinion you want me to give. Or, like, what, what you're asking me is, like, my opinion on. Anyways. Back to it. Culture is that which propagates reality at the most psych fundamental psychological level. Okay? Or, you can say, culture is the foundation of modern society. Or, you go deeper. Culture is the foundation of society. I have one. Culture is the foundational structure upon which reality sits in a functional manner. You, I want to use the word civil. All right, this is the final cut right here. Culture is the foundation of civil society. Well, there's such a thing as no culture. There's such a thing as uh, degenerative culture. The stronger the culture, either the worse the society is or the better the society is. Because culture can be very bad because if that perception is based off of, I mean, atrocities, malevolence, nefariousness, malicious intent, then you have a culture, all right, but it's a very neurotic culture that's going to possess the individuals who live within that society, which that culture is uh, the predicate of. Or, yeah, that culture predicate predic that. So, but I don't know if that's sufficient. Let's see. Culture is the foundation for modern, civilized society. But I don't even think it is. It's so much deeper than that, man. It's so fucking fundamentally deep that I, I'm trying to get it at its deep, deepest level. But also broaden, out, broaden it out. You can't be too specific because culture is such a general thing. Let's say culture is the foundation. I got it. Culture is the foundation for perception and formulating value systems. That's better. Let's cut out the percept. Culture is the foundation for is the foundation for the ability to formulate value systems. 
or culture is the foundation for value systems, human value systems, because everything that you build off of culture is a value system. Now, there's such a thing as very little culture or chaos, almost complete chaos, where there isn't a consistent set of, there isn't a consistent set of principles that you would define as culture that are then causing value systems. It's very chaotic. There's no consistency. There's some principles, but then there's not a lot. And then you get a society that is chaotic or a very, very primitive, harsh society, let's say. Primitive societies have cultures without a doubt. Sometimes their cultures, you can admire them for certain reasons and their holistic approach to medicine, all these things. Okay. But if culture is the foundation for value system, then we have to look at how fundamentally important that is. Because value systems are how we perceive the world. See how it goes from culture, value systems, perception. Culture, value systems, perception. There's a culture which alters value systems. And in those people who got their value system altered from that culture, then paint a perception for their children. And this is a cycle. It's an evolutionary biological cycle. This is why culture improves over time. It quite literally is a part of evolution. And if you look at culture and you measure it across the span of 10,000 years, even going back to the Aztec uh, Empire, the Mayan Empire, the Roman Empire, the Greek Empire, you can actually find universal principles within the cultures that are shared across time. And you can aggregate those, those things that are universal in almost all these societies over thousands of years, and then take that principle and look at it as a sort of moral imperative or as a sort of universal principle among all human cultures, right? And there's not a lot of these, but you can say that one of the most fundamental principles among all culture cultures that weren't complete chaos was truth. Or expression, which is truth. Um, doesn't mean expression is always correct. It just means you can't have truth without, you can't have spoken truth without expression. You say, well, you can write it down. That's expression. Well, you can sing it. That's expression. Well, you can paint it. That's expression. Well, you can think it. Yeah, you can think it, but that's not expression. So expression is the process by which thoughts paint life. Expression is the process by which the ideas in one's mind paint the world around them. So the brush is expression, right? And you could say the hand or even the paint, right, is the, excuse me, is the thoughts. So the thoughts are the hand on the paintbrush and even the paint, right, the substance by which the canvas is going to get colored with. So the ideas and thoughts are the paint, but to paint something, you need a brush, and that brush is the expression. So, I know I've been going on sort of a tangent here, but I want to emphasize why I think culture is one of the only ways to alter perception. Because as I said before, culture is the foundation of value systems. Value systems aggregate over time to form 
certain patterns. And these patterns then um, sort of propagate what's to come in society hundreds and even thousands of years in the future. It compounds in a way. It compounds in a way um, that most people can't even understand. It's very difficult to look at these things. This is a complex stuff. I mean, this isn't, you're talking about evolutionary biology and even physics and evolutionary psychology. So this is a very complex thing, but you can take it, take, simplify it and say, the more you do something, the more likely that something is to be done in the future, right? The more something is done in a society over time, the more likely it's going to be done in the future, in the next time. That is, so, think about it like that. Um, and there, it doesn't mean universal, these universal values are at all good. They could be terrible. Slavery, I'd say, that's not a universal value, but that's a value that was consistent over a long period of time. But because it wasn't in every society ever, but it was in a lot, especially the more elite, powerful societies. But there were societies thousands of years ago that didn't have slaves. You could say, well, they weren't functioning properly. So then you need slaves. Are you so sure of that? Or, or did they try and do something without slavery? And because in those days, everything was everything was free, you know, free ball. So every time a society tried to form itself to then stop slavery and stop the negative values that were being preached, the Roman Empire would just go in there and just destroy it or take it over. Okay, so think about these things. But okay, hey, um, Damien. So I want to talk to you about something, Damien. This is something that I just, I've been working through this sort of live right here on the fly. So like perception itself is predicated on the external condition. Perception is a set of opinions formulated over time to make a more general worldview. And depending on someone's external conditions, their perception will be different. And this perception is actually indistinguishable from reality. This is why when you debate someone who thinks that Biden is a great president, and you say, well, it's not wrong. Dude, I'm, I'm objectively right. Look at what he's done. Look at what the negative stuff, right? I'm objectively right. You're not listening. And you, people tend to make fun of him. And I get it. I get why that sort of sarcasm and humor comes in there and sort of a little bit of arrogance. I don't really particularly enjoy it, but I get the dunking and stuff like that. But the point is, is that you're not getting through to them because that's their perception, which is their reality. And their perception is a set of external conditions repeated over and over and over again until they've aggregated those, um, those systems, aggregated those external conditions and then made their worldview. So good luck trying to break that thing. But I make the case, Damien, I make the case that culture is the best way to sort of um, integrate, to alter perception, right? Culture is the best way to alter perception because culture is the foundation for value systems. And value systems are the foundation for what's to happen next in future societies and value systems um 
uh, expand over time in an evolutionary biological stand, uh, uh, from a standpoint. Uh, and the reason why is because they evolve, and as value systems evolve, right, you have a father who says, well, my father told me that being truthful is good. Okay, so that value, which is part of a certain value system, is, is going to be uh, repeated over time until it becomes a consistent value system. Then the individuals say, okay, that's, that's a good value. Okay, and that is created by culture and altered by culture. But culture is the foundation for value system. Okay. So it's not overtly political, Damien, is what I'm getting at. You can't, you can't alter perception from overtly political propositions. It's too dull because you have to think of the perception as an ironclad armor. That's what I'm, uh, that's how I refer to it as. It's ironclad, that perception. It's literally an individual's entire life and all of the external conditions they experienced built into one domain or one system that contains all these different opinions that formulate that circle, right? So what's the best way to get at the nucleus, right? How do you get at the nucleus to then alter the perception? How do you break through the armor? How do you break through the exterior of the cell to get to the nucleus? Well, first you have to find something that penetrates and penetration sort of presupposes force and force is something necessary to break through anything right so when we're talking about um you know breaking through the outside of the cell you need some sort of force but you have to you have to understand the proportion because too much force you might kill the nucleus too much force into that armor you might change you might alter perception but then you destroy the nucleus and then it doesn't matter because all that was for nothing because the nucleus is damaged now and you did something far worse than what that perception was you uh, sort of supplanted it with something really bad. But you need to have the proper amount of force to sort of go through and break that wall outside of perception. I agree with you. They have to do it themselves. Absolutely. That's what I'm getting to here. What I'm getting to here. Okay, but culture. All right, let me finish with what I was going. I just wanted to sort of fill you in, right? Culture, the reason why I think I'm going to start focusing a lot more on culture is because it alters perception because at its most fundamental level, it is the basis for, uh, for value systems. And value systems are how people operate in the world. So a value, and this is in the sort of biological sense, right? I'm talking about a priori principles, real objective, I guess you could. Okay, so a value is the... is the, um, I want to get this right. Value is the acquisition of a object or concept and designate and comparing yourself in, in relation to that object or concept and then aiming for it. So a value is the aim for reality, right? The aim for reality. That's what a value is. You're aiming for something. There, but, Okay, let me get this. The reason why you're aiming for it is because it's worth something more than nothing. Right? You wouldn't aim at nothing. Right? Right? Most people don't shoot at the sky. What's Because what's fun with shooting at the sky or shooting a bullet? You need a target. Right? So that target's something. 
So you need to find something that's worth value, right? That means something. And you aim for that. And this is at the most biological level with our flovia and, um, you know, obviously our, our cortex and our occipital lobes. And when you look at that, when you look at the prefrontal cortex, which is responsible for executive functions, you see that it needs targets to orient itself. Okay? So that's a value. A value is the relation between a target in its most biological sense and the orientation to that target. So that is a value at the most fundamental level. So how do you make people aim at a particular thing? You increase its value. How do you increase its value? By changing not only the perception of the individual aiming for that, that valuable object, but redefining what that object means. Right? So they, you have to redefine what that object means, and you say liberty. Well, good luck trying to preach liberty, liberty to an overt authoritarian. There's people who overtly say they're authoritarian. Yeah, that exists. People who are naive and have this sort of quasi-virtuosity and think, oh, no one really wants to control the world. They, they, they don't exist. It's, it's a lie. Because there's always been people who try and control. There's always been a minority of people who try and control a majority of the resources and land. So with these overt authoritarians, good luck telling them that liberty is the way out. Because their authoritarian views are predicated on a perception, which is... Um, the repetition of certain external conditions. Okay, good luck trying to break that with any political argument, any reasonable argument, any propositionalized argument. Good luck with that. You're probably not going to do it. You're probably not going to pierce through that body armor. But with culture, with culture, meaning that you're not, you're not trying to fight fire with fire. You're actually trying to use an art, let's say, let's say painting. Say, how will a painting change someone's authoritarian views? How is that possible? Well, because what does that painting mean, right? You need to sort of supply that painting with meaning that's not overtly political, that then creates value, and that value is then received through perception from someone, and then that value changes their overall perception because it's something they value now that they didn't before, and the reason why they do that is because they see something in that. They have a realization, right? A coming to Jesus moment, let's say, because however that painting was painted, they realized that, wow, that's a beautiful painting, and it illustrates something I had never saw before, and this is really the truth with shows and movies, right? Take, let's take sort of televised culture, um, you know, into account and say that well, someone might look at a show and, right, most, most leftists sort of rag on conservative movies. And, stuff, and I get it. Of course, the Christian fundamentalism and just and more like really, really Christian things. So I get that. But what happens if you make a movie that's not overtly Christian and that is very good? The acting is good. The directing is good. The writing is good. And you provide value. In that movie. So then you take a leftist who, let's say, they don't even know that it's produced, right? 
uh, by a conservative, they look at that and they're like, wow, that movie was good. And, you know, it was talking about liberty and freedom and it wasn't someone trying to convince you. You had no idea that you were being, uh, your perception was being molded. Because as soon as you realize that someone's trying to change you, you immediately reject that change. And you immediately go into a sort of self-preserving mode where you want to preserve your ideas, ideologies, and um, belief systems, or because value systems. You want to preserve those because if those were destroyed, that means you're destroyed. Because as soon as value systems are destroyed, your belief systems are destroyed, and your belief systems are the best way for you to orient yourself in the world. And if your belief systems, which help you orient yourself, get destroyed, how are you going to orient yourself? And if you can't orient yourself, you can't get anywhere. And if you can't get anywhere, you're going to be depressed. And if you get depressed, you're going to hurt yourself even more, and then you might even kill yourself. So this cycle of abuse, right? This cycle of, of perception, culture, value system, right? Coming into play. We need to understand that we're not going to convince people by overt political debate. And the culture is how we do the convincing, okay? And I want to make this clear because that person whose perception was just altered doesn't even realize that unconsciously they absorb values of that. And they know they observe values because they like it. They explicitly like it. They might not explicitly know exactly why they liked it, but they like the way the narrative was. They like the narrative of the movie. They like the theme of it. So that's how you could change an authoritarian's views. Say a few movies, shows... Not overtly uh, political. They don't even know that it's made by the political opposition. So this is just a thing, right? A thing not connected to any political argument, right? It is a piece of art, ba a painting. The only difference is a painting's a picture, right? A movie's millions of frames pictured over and over and over, right? It's a set of pictures. A lot of sets of pictures. And... That is a thing in itself, as Kant would say. So that thing in itself, then, there's no point in resisting it. Why are you going to resist that? So then you're more open. You're more open to watch it. It's just a movie. You're more open to it. I mean, what's the worst a movie can have? But when it comes to conservatives, I mean, they're racist Nazis. So I, why would I want to listen to conservatives? They're literally racist white supremacists. But the movie is like, I've watched movies before. They're not that bad. And we all watch movies. What, what's the worst this movie can do? Okay, either it sucks or it's good. But then when you take the conservative into account, well, that's debating a white supremacist. They might hurt me or they might hurt me and expose me or they might be smarter than me and make me look stupid even though I'm right, but I don't want to look stupid and get embarrassed because humiliation is bad because it is bad. So there is no humiliation factor in the movie. So... The movie's watched, the information's consumed unconsciously and consciously. And that movie, if it's a good movie, if they like the movie, it becomes a value. Or I should say the movie becomes valuable. So then they say, wow, that movie was good. The directors did so much. They... They really made the film good. The acting was incredible. Then what they do is they go to see that actor and see, 
has this actor been in any other movies that was made valuable? It's when there's other movies that might have certain values that conservatives, I'm not saying libertarians might be making, they say the director, oh, that director. Dude, I'm going to watch more movies by that director because that thing had value. That's valuable. I mean, look at it. I mean, look at the values that are being preached within this thing, right? So then they look for other movies that were made by that director with similar values. And then they might be left as communists, but then they start to see culture uh, altering their perception and they're open to the alteration because it's not overtly political. And then they, and then the perception is penetrated and it's done in a non-aggressive manner and a non-confrontational manner because the individual has no reason to not be open because it is just a piece of art and art Art can be political. I'm not denying that art can't be political, right? But this art is not political art. It's just art in its rawest form. It's something that either has value or not. And because of all the pieces behind the art that made it good, right? Because, I mean, a painting isn't just about the ability to paint, right? That's actually not a lot of it. It's the colors, having the proper amount of colors, right? Having the right colors, having them the right shades, making sure those colors are vibrant, making sure those colors stick to the canvas and making sure you have a brush, right? You have a, like a broken brush or a brush that's too thin and you have to pinch it and it doesn't paint the same. Your strokes are going to be off and there's going to be streaks on the painting. And then the canvas, you have to make sure you have a canvas where it doesn't sort of rip right, where the paint goes straight on there, and it doesn't smear, and it goes on the canvas well, and the canvas um, sort of uh, uh, really, really sort of blends well with the painting. Not only does it blend well, but it complements the paint, right? Those are all those little technical pieces that go into that art, which is an expression, right? So then that art is here it was worked on there was a lot of effort that went into that art and then people can make the decision to choose the art and value it or not and many people will hate it but since it's not overtly political since that art has not entered the political domain and it has not even entered the propositional domain it had it is not it's quite literally away from the rational domain it's more, it's closer to the divine domain because it's not rational at all. It's, it's, it, it well, it depends on how you define. I, I don't know what that means. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't know what language that is. If you put it in English, I'll read it. Um, I, I don't know what that is. Um, uh, just translated, I guess. I mean, I can try and translate. But I'm on a thought right now because I don't want to break my thought and thought. Already messed up. Not your fault. Okay. So it is not rational because the rational is the real and the objective and the scientific. Let's say that it is the scientific domain is really sort of equated to the rational domain. Let's say this. Let's even take the rationalist. In this case, and some of the atheists, a lot of atheists, rationally, they sort of go together and mix, right? But it is the domain of expression. The domain of expression is in the domain of creativity, 
the domain of creativity, basically can't be measured objectively. What, what does that mean? That means there is no, there is no objective scientific in the rationalist sense. I think that it's actually close to a scientific, it's a different type of scientific process. But no, no, nevertheless, it cannot be defined by a scientific process and the scientific process and through standard lab work and science by scientists. It is subjective in the sense that each person designates it a different value based off of their perception. Okay? So it's subjective. Okay, now you take what's good about that. It's subjective because people can formulate their own ideas of it. There's no pushing upon the individual to believe it. When you're debating, you're trying to get someone to believe something. When you're speaking politically, you're trying to get someone to hear something. When you're speaking to someone that you disagree with, you're trying to get them to agree with you or hear your points. You want to change minds. You want to alter perception. But you can't do it because you're already in a mode of rejection and non-openness. People are already polarized by you and already disagree with you. They come into this debate to disagree with you just to do that, disagree with you. And all of the people on their side have, maybe it's not always hate, that's the harshest sense, but maybe a lot of people strongly, strongly feel negatively about you and your opinions. So then everyone on the other side is like, well, these people hate my opinions, right? They don't necessarily hate me, but they very, very much disagree with these opinions. Let's try and convince them. Let, I want to make sure we're right. So it's really a game of, of selfishness in a lot of ways, the political debate. It's a way to express virtuosity, but to also express the instinct to dominate. So I talk about competence hierarchies. And the differences and how some dominance hierarchies within animal systems we call dominance hierarchies, but they're closer to competence hierarchies. No, dominance hierarchy, I think, is the purest. Mo the dominance hierarchy are predicated mainly off of the expression of power and cost, right? The uh, predicated on the expression of inflicting cost to move you up the hierarchy. That's a dominance hierarchy, right? When a Competence hierarchy is based on competence, the ability to maneuver in the hierarchy in an intelligent way, and through cooperation. So that's a competence hierarchy. Now, it doesn't mean there can't be a dominance hierarchy that turns into a more co cooperative hierarchy. It doesn't mean that a competence hierarchy can't be corrupted from the top and turned to a dominance hierarchy and be overthrown. That, that all can happen. But in the debate, it is a dominance hierarchy. And if it's not, it's not a debate. In a debate, it's a dominance hierarchy. You're not going to tell me otherwise. You can say there's a competent hierarchy in the arguments being laid out, but it's still not even really that much of a hierarchy. Because the debate is about winning. It's explicitly about winning. It's explicitly about ideology, right? Especially we're talking about political, political debates. It's especially about the political domain. It's about certain opinions from... A perception, it's about expressing a certain perception in the correct way. It's about convincing people to believe your perception. It's about disagreeing with someone else's perception. All of it are negatives. All of it are explicitly about dominating the other person, not about being more competent and just trying to con converse. And maybe you have debates that are very civil and work, but they're not debates, okay? You have conversations. Right, conversations about culture, 
That's why Joe Rogan's so popular is because he doesn't have a political podcast. He has a podcast predicated on culture, which politics fa falls into that domain in a certain sense. But culture, culture is downstream from politics. Well, no, politics is downstream from culture. The both are, this is crazy, the both can be equally true in the sense that there's political culture, but the overarching culture of a society formulates how that political culture will look. If, all, if you don't think all the movie shows, art, books, and literature don't play a part in how people affiliate politically, you're absurdly naive or just dumb or stupid. And also there's insults in those debates. And also there's the instinct to win, okay? So I'd say those debates are particularly, political debates are particularly dominant hierarchies, right? The idea isn't to be, be competent and cooperative. It's to be dominant and um, dominant and, yeah, just dominant. That's what it is, to dominate through the infliction of cost, right? When, when you really are being competent and cooperative, you're not trying to inflict cost. You're not trying to inflict cost at all. You're actually trying to learn. You want to figure out if you're right or not. In a debate, you're trying to tell and convince the other person that you are right. Because you're not question. It's not about questioning. It's not about uh, sort of what is and what is not statements. It's about I and I believe and I think you're wrong and this is my opinion statement. So all in all, again, I, I, I'm working with this on the fly. So give me a break. But culture, culture is everything. It is everything. And it is based off of a competence hierarchy. And it is ex very much explicitly and implicitly, for sure, um, subjective. Culture is not, you can't ob objectify culture. You can't, uh, you know, create a scientific process to measure the components of culture measure the value through a universal system, right? You can say there's culture, there's values that are universal in that culture, there's values that are uh, that we can say are disregarded values that get shut away in the cultures, and every culture that's ever lived is like, lying's bad. Doesn't mean that they don't resort to lying, it just means like many cultures over thousands of years thought that not telling the truth was not good. So that became an aggregate. It became a value system, in a way. Um, it became a value, and that became that produces the culture, the culture of being honest and direct and forthright, not deceptive, malevolent, and nefarious. See what I'm saying? So, if we can change the culture, because it's not overtly political, and because it's easy to consume, and because the person um, engaging in culture, whether it be a painting, whether it be in a movie, right? They're engaging in it, but they're not resistant to it. They're not likely to reject it, and they're open to the culture. So then values, right? Certain values and certain opinions can be, can enter, right? You can enter it. You can actually enter the body of the ideologically possessed 
you can enter it in a way, and by body, I don't mean physical body. I mean the body of his conceptions and really the body of his ide this overarching ideology, or as you say, his worldview. So the penetration of that, not to manipulate necessarily. Well, let's be honest. One, one of the guys I love is Robert Greene, right? And um, he's written a lot of books about power and sort of power structures. You're manipulating them, but you're not trying to, okay, you're manipulating them in a way. You are, that okay, put it like this. The culture is manipulating them, but you just wanted to make culture, and you want people to like it. But it's the culture that does the manipulating, and it can only manipulate people if it's good. So competent, that's a competence hierarchy. You are focused on the work, on the structure of the object or the film or the painting or the video or the documentary. You're focused on the structure and making it quality so people watch it. And people not only watch it but like it so then enough people like it to where there's an aggregate opinion that's good and then you get an award and you get credited and you get um, praised and you made something good. And not forget the, the sort of credibility of it and the awards of it. You then change people's lives and you make something that's consequentially amazing and helped people through tough times and you then alter the culture. On that note, I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to leave. Um, for everyone watching, I appreciate you um, watching the video. As always, if you like the video, you can always subscribe or follow me on Twitch, right? Uh, you can go to uh, my website, which is the Quantum Effect Store, uh, quantumeffectstore.org. The link will be in the description. You can find it here. Uh, if you have any more questions, you can message me at uh, Daniel B. Right. Or no, actually don't message me. Message me at dbtro01 at gmail.com if you want to send me an email. Uh on Facebook, look up the Quantum Effect Podcast. On Facebook, it'll pop right up. If you want to check me out on Minds, the Quantum Effect Podcast, just look it up. And Dan, you can look up Daniel B on Minds as well. Thank you for watching. Um, and if you have any disagreements with me, put it all in the chat. Even if it's harsh. I wanna I wanna try and hear what you guys have to say about what I said because the stuff that I'm talking about is really, really, really complicated and I'm trying to shift through it. I'm trying to really shift through the wheat and the chaff, right? I'm trying to figure out what's good, what works and what's not because I could have been wrong in a lot of what I just said, but I was trying to get to something approximating a truth. I was trying to get to something approximating a transparent truth. I wasn't trying, I'm not trying to uh, like, covertly come up with these concepts to then manipulate and deceive i'm trying to do this because i want to figure out if i'm right because if i'm right i can then orient myself around that thing that i figured out that was a domain of truth or in the domain of truth okay uh but as always i hope you enjoy the video and subscribe comment like share do all that stuff and come back again i really hope you enjoyed the content because i, I enjoyed doing that it was hard Right, being in thought that that sort of high, uh, high level, high functioning thought, not easy, but you get something out of it. All right, I'm out. Take it easy. I will see you.